Hugh right. Ferris, I'm not going to force your meat on me. As, as, a, fan of, right. as a fan of <laughs> Italian dry cured meat. Well, this is for this is South African dry cured meat. Yeah, but it's South African dry cured meat lacks, lacks the sophistication of Italian and Spanish dry cured very meat. Very true. Can we have a little bit more Rory? I wouldn't normally utter that. Did you, what was happening at Twickenham? Uh, England against Wales in the Six Nations, a rugby union competition involving six nations. You went to watch rugby union? I didn't watch it, no. I left before it started. Was this a professional engagement? <laughs> yes. I didn't expect so many people to be shot. So the, 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 the cash had landed? <laughs> yeah? Got paid. It's boom. in the account. Bye. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> I'm not interested in saying anything else. Do you get a notification that it's cleared? You know, like clear in yeah, TV yeah, and yeah. radio is mean, right, you're done, you're finished. For, it was a BBC. For you, it's like, it's, it's it's clear. money's cleared. Yeah. Yeah. It was a BBC thing. It was, yes. Were you doing a live? Got his bank doing some live. You're clear. Some live outside <laughs> on Saturday morning. A man with a bowler hat and a briefcase. <laughs> As someone who used to live in Twickenham, yes. was it largely very large middle class men? On the street. <laughs> Not at that point because it was eight o'clock in the morning. No, it doesn't. I, doesn't I imagine change anything from, from, from the night before. By later, we we were told by indeed amongst those the biltong salesman um, that there will be just that, and we were also told by our gallery in Salford mm. to make sure that we counted the barbers, <laughs> and we counted the barbers as in jackets, mm. not people. Oh, hair. the barbors, the barbors, the barbors and flat caps. Yes, that would yeah. be a strange thing to do on your way to the rugby. I've got to leave a little bit earlier for the game because I've got to take advantage of all of the barbers en route <laughs> to Twickenham. <laughs> to mm. be fair, en route to most sort of inner city Premier League grounds, you do see a lot of barbers. But would you stop for a haircut on your way to the game? And certainly not more than one. I do need a haircut, so maybe. And I'm kind of thinking a lot of those inner city barbers close to football grounds, I'm not sure whether that's the kind of environment in which you would be the most comfortable, whether you're the sort of mm. the guy that they would um, welcome, welcome, they'd Wyeth. throw their doors open yeah. I'm to. An, I'm, an I'm an everyman. Hitting upon Rory's common man rankings. <laughs> yeah, I'm an everyman. <laughs> but yes, I was there uh, doing uh, BBC Breakfast live inserts. For the TV or the radio? For the televisuals. Ah, okay. Did you, not see, fun. did you not see the video on social media of Hugh appearing as though he was very nearly hit by a bus outside Twickenham? <laughs> it was so funny. No. But I, d- I wish I had. Well, mm. now we perhaps we can show that to you at some point in the near future. It that would be good. Very, you, you very clever use of television perspective. Okay. A bit like how, you know, Hawkeye, VAR for offside. You yeah, know, yeah. It's, it's all it's about, about the dimensions angles. and yeah, the yeah. angles. Yeah, well, yeah, they, they managed, BBC TV managed to look like Hugh was going to get absolutely wiped out by the wing mirrors of a bus, which I thought was good TV. That would be... Here we go. Here Keep he is. Watching. He's talking. Keep He's talking watching. to the camera. Keep watching. He's talking to the Keep camera. Watching. There's a car. I know that roundabout. And here comes the bus. Oh! oh. Wow. <laughs> Coming to the set piece menu Twitter feed very, very soon. He's going to Tolworth as well. That is. That is. That I is think the bus good. driver was good. <laughs> he was fighting his. Uh, he might be a listener. Oh, yeah. Take him out. <laughs> the, uh, going to Tolworth as well. You don't get hit by a bus on the way to Tolworth. This is Set Piece Menu, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. I'm Hugh Ferris. Joining me are Stephen Wyeth, Pretty Young Thing, Rory Smith, Smooth Criminal, and Andy Hinchcliffe. Bad. Apologies uh, that we are um, a little later than usual, by the way. Andy has had to wade through the fan mail about his turtleneck on Monday night in Sky Sports, so it was a little bit delayed. Mm. It wasn't a full turtleneck because, you know, the, the, the full turtlenecks go right underneath the chin, but my neck is notoriously itchy, so I had to put an extra fold in my, mm. my turtleneck. So it wasn't really a turtleneck, I would say. Tortoise neck. More, more tortoise. Yeah. And I, of course, I've got all a the... hibernating uh, turtleneck. Yeah, so I had to kind of roll it down so it didn't really give the full effect. But uh, I, I will, in my next game, I will try to keep it up, the turtleneck. Can I ask a as question? As best I can. Are turtlenecks, this is a genuine question, called turtlenecks because they make it look as though your head is poking out of a shell? I would Why imagine else are they called that? that? That would be the reason. Yeah. That's extraordinary. Well, what other reason would they be called turtlenecks? I'm sure when I was younger, they just used to be called rollnecks. Yes, why, but why is a polo shirt called a polo shirt? Because you, you wear them to play polo. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a giveaway, that, isn't it? <laughs> it's funny how these kind of fashion items are, are given names that relate to... What they do. What they do or what yeah. they make you look like. Yeah. It's um, funny, isn't it? The food yeah. today has already been rejected by Andy Hinchcliffe. It's biltong. If you're aware of biltong, then uh, you will know that it's uh, one of the finest foods that you can get mm. from pretty much the whole world. Yeah. Um, I got it from outside Twickenham, where there is a biltong stall, mm. and it is dry cured meat... Uh, from South Africa. It, it may be very tasty, but your presentation was appalling. And yes. the way you try to shove your meat in my face, <laughs> I'm not going to take that from anyone, Ferris. Certainly not from you. Um, admittedly, three quarters of it has been eaten prior to your arrival in the house today. The football, Chinch, you're back from Portugal, so you're incredibly well prepared. What are we talking about today? Uh, is it coronavirus? Well, we're discussing the questions posed by football's response 
to the coronavirus so, yes, we outbreak. Are. So mm. kinda. Um, we pride ourselves on being timeless. So using terrible industry jargon, we're going to use it as a peg to talk about how football can't afford to stop when a developing pandemic suggests that that might be the best idea. And if it doesn't stop, how significant the lack of fans will be for several leagues around Europe in particular. Um, in the Algarve, there is absolutely no cases of coronavirus. I was hoping there might be a few because Porto Menense, my favourite club, my local club in, in, uh, in Portugal, close to Carvoero, are, are battling relegation. Mm. So I was hoping maybe the Portuguese league could be called off yeah. and they could be saved. But they are truly appalling and do deserve to go down. Have you been to see them play? Uh, no, but I plan to because every time I go, I tend to go during the week. Yes. And... Strangely, a lot of the Portuguese games are played over the weekend. Is that, is that a thing with football, or maybe it's just a Portuguese thing? I, I tend to have to come home to to work in England, so yeah. I do miss a lot of their games. So you would be there to help them prepare for games, Chinch? I I could do, yes, mm. yeah. but you won't. No, or you no, haven't. no. I think they've got to stand and fall. But the, themselves, I could. If I went there, of course, the imagine the the furore it would cause if they saw me sat in the stands. They'd think this guy clearly is coming in to take over. That's what yeah. they would, because I'm so famous, basically. In the meantime, you can get in touch with the podcast, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Firstly, from James Levinson, who is a doctor from Boston. Hand sanitizer, he says, does inactivate coronavirus. So thank okay, you, James. You uh, you're absolutely right. It doesn't have to be the alcohol. Be in putting Over 60% alcohol, I've been told. It has it, to be. There needs to be an alcohol content, but hand sanitizer usually has, but not all. Yes. But thank you, James, for correcting a point that we made last week, mm. which was a little, little flippantly to say that hand sanitizer, because it's antibacterial, not antiviral, yes. doesn't actually help. Yeah. Well, it does help because of the alcohol content. Mm. Thanks, too, for all your thoughtful responses to our pod last week on MLS. Sam Ganaway has got in touch. Hi, Hugh, and others. Mm, don't like it. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Just listen to SBM 168, which came at a timely moment for me as I attended my first MLS game just five days prior. I'm from England, I support Stevenage, but I moved to Vancouver a few months ago. Due to the fact that every single Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, FA Cup, Championship game is available to watch here in Canada, I've probably seen more minutes of televised football so far this season than ever before. I can even get away with watching midweek games on my computer at work. His boss is not listening. However, with the start of the new MLS season, I was excited to buy tickets for the Vancouver Whitecaps opening game v Sporting Kansas City to get some of that live game action and atmosphere that I've been missing. Of course, Here a lot of people call them Sporting Kansas City, but they're actually known as Sporting <laughs> Club de Portugal. <laughs> yes. Here are my thoughts, he says. I know you've covered most of it and some may not be relevant, but here you are. Quality of football is akin to League Two in England, with the exception of the six players signed on the Beckham rule whose skill and quality was evident. The refereeing was incredibly harsh. He set the bar about five minutes in when he booked a player for a completely innocuous tackle. What followed was essentially a free kick awarded any time someone tackled another player, no matter the outcome. No away fans, as you'd expect. The home fans had one group of very fanatical, chanting, flag-waving ultras, for want of a better word. They made up about 250 of the 22,000 people in the stadium and stood behind the goal. The other 21,750 sat through the game in near silence. No standing, no shouting, no singing, no atmos. Despite there being only 22,000 fans in the stadium, basically the average attendance, he says, at Bristol City this season... We were treated to quite the pre-game show. Hundreds of kids holding up huge banners, two national anthems sung live, videos on giant screens to hype everyone up, a large camera crew, a light show, smoke cannons, music, live presenters, he says in inverted commas, charity winners, prizes, etc. All very American. I wondered how they pay for it all. And then I went to get a beer at half time. It was $17 for a pint in a city where a normal beer costs $4.50. $17? That's about 10 of your English pounds. <laughs> Overall, says Sam, not an unpleasant experience, and I might go again when LAFC are in town. Just a juxtaposition to see all the fanfare and production around a level of football that I and 2,000 other people would usually see at Stevenage against Forest Green. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. All the very best from beautiful BC, says Sam. Ludicrously overpriced booze is not exclusive to no. MLS when it comes to American sport. It's very much, it's very much a democracy in that regard. Mm. Seems the actual football let the event down. The build-up sounds tremendous. Most people should have left after the build-up. Like football, Hugh with rugby. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Gets paid, leaves. Um, but yeah, it sounds like the game itself wasn't a great spectacle. Um, well, that's according to Sam. The briefest email response came from Nick in New York. He says, "No, sorry, quality too low. Why not an MLS Mex League? Why not regional conferences to reduce travel?" That's from Nick. John Lewis, not that one, or indeed that one, says, Hey there, guys, playing up the Americanness here. Y'all had a few good points about MLS and SPM 168. Then there's a but from John. Soccer is known as a rich kid's sport in the US, which runs counter to every other country in the world. And it may not be the case anymore, but at one point, clubs didn't have scouts and required prospective players for fledging academies to travel to that club's facilities on their own dime, pay for a tryout, and then, if they're good enough, pay tuition, room and board, etc., with the possibility of never making a dime in return. 
Think of all the great players around the world who come from backgrounds that would have been frozen out of the game because of this. And this is pervasive all the way down to the grassroots levels. A local youth soccer team here charges thousands of dollars for players to play for them in an eight-match long season. Other sports also charge, but the best players' families don't incur that cost. This is the biggest barrier to MLS creating a fan culture that has an attachment to players coming through systems and allowing it to surpass Liga MX. Most markets simply do not have populations that support being able to pay tens of thousands of dollars for their children to play soccer. That's extraordinary, isn't yeah. it? If you consider mm. in terms of how it compares to the more established US sports, you know, equipment, the facilities required, etc. why soccer would be considered to be a yeah. rich kid's sport. Yeah, it will getting kids to pay. I mean, all, all youth sports teams, there are costs, but they're normally sort of nominal just to pay for petrol and the coach to you know to get shouting lessons or whatever. But isn't, it is. isn't soccer playing catch up in America with all the established? It's not a truly established sport. Well, that's what we talked about last week, Chinch. <laughs> we, was I? We I weren't w- here. Uh, you had a mi- wait a minute. We did it. You had a get together without you. How did it go? I mean, better than it. Clearly, from here. some of the emails, you, you did a decent job, but maybe there was twenty five percent was probably missing. It's um, not the first time we've had to do it without you, Chinch. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Probably wasn't the same, was it? Wasn't it wasn't the same. No, better. Wasn't the same. Better. Better. <laughs> better, better is, is, Chinch, is it didn't mean anything. It just didn't mean anything. I think youth, we did touch on that, that youth development is the big Don't thing. tell our listeners a podcast you did didn't mean anything. Doesn't, nothing means anything without you there. <sighs> That's a lovely sentiment. Thank you. <laughs> uh, why is the man management of this this anyway, year old man? But so anyway, but anyway, but anyway, soccer existence. is is still in twenty five years. It will be uh, no, thought of in a different way. We, or? we concluded that it is established now, but I think there are issues towards its continued development. And youth youth development is one of them. They have to kind of break free of the college yeah. system. But also, if you've got a, a grassroots system that relies on people being able to pay thousands of dollars to play, then that is clearly ludicrous, and they should stop it. Uh, we started with a doctor, so we'll end with one. This is Doctor Warren Rubenstein or Ruben Steen, a loyal listener here in Toronto, relatively new to football. I listen each Wednesday during my leisurely one-hour walk home from work through the lovely snow. That sounds nice. Beautiful picture painting from Dr. Warren. Can you answer two questions, mainly to silence that incessant chatter about VAR on all other football podcasts? Really? Other football podcasts? Number one, why is the EPL the only league that seems to have so much difficulty with VAR? We are fine in MLS thanks to Howard Webb. And two, why cannot anyone at Stockley Park understand what clear and obvious means? Keep the podcast coming. That's from Ron Rubenstein, Rubenstein. Sounds like we need another edition of For F's Sake You Don't Go to VAR. This is when Stephen Wyeth speaks to the ridiculous misunderstandings and misrepresentations of VAR. Stephen, over to you. Well, my guess is that this relates to the fact that MLS, unlike everybody else, are applying clear and obvious to offside decisions, which is not in line with the rules, the laws of the game. You're either offside or you're not. Uh, But in MLS, they have decided that that clear and obvious thing that you see in almost all other instances of VAR intervention also applies when it comes to offside. It's not to say who's right and wrong, it's just MLS are doing it differently. But it does make sense. There was one the other day. Sorry, I'm eating Biltong. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad you are. I'm going to pile Have mine, it have mine, because there's no way I'm touching Get it that. away from me. It's mm. Saturated fat content is enormous. No, uh, no, it's very good for you. Low in fat, high in protein. Uh, it's really good for you. There was one the other day, and obviously we're timeless, Stephen, like watches, and... Um, <laughs> Philippe Patak. The, the, um, <laughs> I'm not sure that's a sponsorship avenue we're going to have much success d- with. Set-piece menu, sponsored. You don't own one, you get given one by your tax dodging uncle, <laughs> or whatever the slogan is. <laughs> the, um, no, I think that there was one the other day where you looked at it and you thought, okay, he is technically just offside. That might have been um, Liverpool-Bournemouth. The goal that Bournemouth didn't score at the end. What do you mean, just technically? He's offside? No, it was. I think Ake kind of looked like his shoulder might have been off or his hip or something. But the line said he was offside. And the, the flag went up. Yeah. The, the line the, the line never kind of was never made clear exactly whether he was offside or not because it was given on the field. Yes. And you think in that situation, maybe, maybe that is a way to pursue it, to say that for offside, if it is clear and obvious that the referee has got it wrong... Then, then that's maybe not a bad way to kind of gauge when we should overrule the referee. But if it's if it's a marginal call, just go with whatever the referee says. This isn't an original point. I hate to talking about VAR. Let's talk about coronavirus. Right then. Okay, we're going to follow the crowd, although that crowd will be of no more than one thousand people if you're in France, and talk about coronavirus. Well, actually, it's not really about coronavirus. It's about the response 
of the football world to the outbreak of COVID-19. Italy will have no sporting events of any kind until the beginning of April, after originally decreeing that Serie A will be played behind closed doors. La Liga and Ligue 1 have taken that latter option again for the next couple of weeks. While the Premier League, aside from issuing health device, insists it's business as usual, apart from today when Manchester City against Arsenal was postponed on account of the fact that Arsenal had been in contact with the owner of Olympiacos. An interesting that prior to that incident, the, the Premier League would use the phrase business as usual. Because is it the business that is dictating the response here? It's easy to say, shut it all down everywhere. But can football afford to do that? And even if they can't, should they do it anyway? Meanwhile, for all those games going on behind closed doors, the effect on the atmosphere is obvious. But on the players, it's SBM's coronavirus episode that isn't really about coronavirus. It's been really interesting seeing the response. And obviously we should we should start it, and hopefully we don't have to keep repeating this, by saying that football is not important in the grand scheme of things and public health clearly comes first and that there is a logic that if you're trying to delay or contain whichever phase we're in now, the spread of a potential pandemic, then the first thing that you should do is shut down non-essential events of which football, although we, we do not often treat it like that, football is very much a prime example. So there is no reason for... If, it's a, if it might in any way kind of help the spread of the disease, there is no reason for football to go ahead. I've kind of gone back and forth on it a little bit because you kind of think, well, what good does, should, what good does shutting stadiums down do if, if Waterloo's still open, which I think has like a million passengers a day? That, you know, if the subway in New York is still open, where you're not just in close quarters, you're underground standing face to face with another human. If all that's still open, does mm-hmm. is there really likely to be any impact from shutting down major public events? Well, twice within the last few days, there have been no trains in and out of Euston because of problems with the overhead lines. So you know, Euston is becoming increasingly more populous as the minutes yeah, yeah. go yeah. by. So yeah, exactly. That, that, that point is very, very valid. There's huge gatherings of people that you can't control just by yeah. saying we are no longer going to do X, Y or Z. That is right. And it does feel like a kind of logistical or logical fallacy almost to say, right, we're going to stop doing football. But these, these other things that are kind of much more close quarters, much bigger, much more populous, they're going to stay open. But of course, football's not vital to the economy. So, so And mass is, transit might be more important no, mass transit is, is far f- infinitely more important in many ways in every way than football so it's easy to say you just take you take off the stuff around the fringes of society that you can initially and then later on you shut down things like essential public services and libraries and museums and whatever that people kind of need and or maybe maybe not even libraries and museums maybe schools schools should be the last thing to go so in in, in italy have the government told Sierra you have to shut down or has football independently yeah. taken that decision no, I think what, so what everyone's doing, the impression I get the, is that what everyone is doing is waiting for governmental advice. And that, I think, is the right thing. And it varies from country to country. So, so the Premier League, if the government were, they're waiting for the government to say you need to stop rather than saying it's over to you. Do you want to stop? Make so, that decision yourself. So the Italians appear from the outside to have kind of vacillated a bit on it. But I think that's understandable. Partly to they're kind of the, the first country to be really yeah. hard hit by it in Europe. And partly because, and this isn't a very journalistic thing to say, and it feels a bit like a betrayal, but this is really hard. It's no matter what you think of which you know Giuseppe Conte or Boris Johnson or whoever. It's this is really hard stuff to deal with. Like what what do you what do you do in the face of a virus that you can't control? It's not something that it's very easy to sit on social media and say, well, they should do this and they should do this. But there is a knock-on effect for everything. So this is going to sound really facetious. I've I've had a theory with roadworks for quite a long time, which you know it's really annoying on the motorways when you kind of get through one set of roadworks that's been there for six months and then you get onto a different, slightly different motorway. You talk about the M6. I'm always talking about the M6. Yeah, that 30-mile stretch of yeah. the M6. Yeah, well, so let's, yeah. take, let's take the M6 as, the M6 as, as an this example. This, for our international audience, is the uh, well, motorway. The M6 is a major thoroughfare through the heart of the England. Northwest yes, yes. to uh, Birmingham Midlands, yeah. and, yeah. and beyond. slightly yes. beyond. So the M6 is a really busy motorway in, mm-hmm. in, in the northwest. Well, some of it is. <laughs> north, north of Preston, it's just the open road. But the... Um, <laughs> But between like they've, they've, they've not even bothered painting the lines, have they? No. There's no barriers. Just, no mind barriers. you, the crosswinds send so many lorries, yeah, so yeah, many tractors yeah. and stuff up there anyway. So, so yeah. you know, you're allowed to no point in having cows driving a three-lane highway for all those tractors. Anyway, I'm anyway. not just to, just to reiterate, <laughs> I am not in any way being facetious. But so you know, with the M6, mm-hmm. that there was that stretch of roadworks just south of Manchester for about two years, yeah, and it was really slow. It was really annoying. You got caught in all the time, and then they finished that bit and they made it four lanes or whatever. And then immediately they opened up another set of bloody roadworks just south of it. So now you get, you get past Nutsford, you think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm home free here, I'm flying. And then suddenly you're outside Holmes Chapel, you're in traffic, it's really annoying. So I've got this theory, and that is wrong, 
but it's a theory that I do sincerely hold, and I am not again being facetious. That it would be easier if they just shut the motorways for two weeks and said, right, we're going to do all the roadworks. We're doing all the roadworks. You can still use the A roads. You can still use the trains, but the, there are no motorways for a fortnight. You just, just epidemic roadworks, basically. You just have isn't to it? deal yes. with it. Just yes. get all of the roadworks done at once, and yep. you deal with it. I've got, but my theory is that it's just a way of keeping people employed. Possibly. And there is, look, I, I ran this by my dad. This <laughs> pod's taking a, a very strange turn, hasn't it? I ran this but by they, my dad. Conspiracy they, theories abound. Chinch, we've done that journey together. You oh, never don't bring see me any, into your web of sin. You never see anybody <laughs> doing anything. This is going to get back to coronavirus in a second. <laughs> I, I know, I'm hoping so. So I have the same theory with trains. It's really, oh, annoying. It's, a <laughs> it's really annoying that trains are rubbish and that they, you know, you get, everything gets slowed down to do works on the line and stuff. Just, just shut the trains for a week. Just shut the trains and say... There are no trains this week. You can do what you like, but there are no trains. We're going to do all the work. Everything, everything will be fine. And I kind of wonder whether it's the same with something like this, that the easy thing to do there would, we go. would be to get ahead of it and just say, right, do you know what? We're shutting everything until April. Like, you, you've got like three days to panic by loo roll, and then, and then everything. For how long are we talking here? Two weeks, a month? Two, two, whatever they think is the, is the time that it would, ca- would take for, for symptoms to show and for cases to How long complete. would you say? Because you're clearly well informed. Yeah, I'm not a medical expert. <laughs> you want to close the M6 down for two weeks, so we're saying the same thing for the whole country? Keep everybody what indoors? What I'm saying for... is, shut, shut the country down completely, except for the roadworks. They can get it all done. <laughs> no, again, I'm not being facetious. No, okay. You do wonder whether it's easier to get ahead of it and say, let's just, we shut everything down now, we take preventative measures. And the, the Italians have sort of done that. They've, they've but, waited to an extent, but the, and they are now shutting everything down. The, the issue is that I think football is not aware of its own irrelevance and is therefore being incredibly obstructive to the idea, that, look, it's not, shutting down football is not going to solve the problem, but it could maybe not make the problem worse. I think in Italy, in Italy they've been quite proactive, if a little bit chaotic, about doing it. But now they've, they've shut the lead until April the 3rd, and, and I presume at that point they'll then kind of take a view on, on what happens after that. The French and the Germans and the Spanish have all gone behind those doors. That's, that's good. They are taking action. I think here particularly, the clubs won't make the decision when that's Premier League, which is fine. It's not their responsibility. They are not medical experts. It strikes me the Premier League have been slightly reluctant to follow the, the approach that is being used on the continent. I don't know why. And equally, I think the government's view is similar to what's happening in the States, is that they are conscious that there are knock-on effects to things like the economy of taking preventative action, and therefore they don't want to. And I, I worry that that is just pushing the problem back. I'm really conflicted because you're right. About the roadworks. About the roadworks, yeah. you're correct. Trains, yet yeah, probably yeah. as well. Football, yes, in the grand scheme of things, irrelevant. But football is kind of a very visual thing within our society of mass gatherings, mass participation in terms of turning out on a regular basis to support your team. I'm going to the theatre tonight. I've not heard anybody suggest that theatre should be shut down. For well, what are you going I, to see, Hang on, hang on. Just, just, just to, to be abundantly clear, all theatres should be shut down permanently. <laughs> Unrelated to coronavirus, all theatres yeah. should be shut down. I'm going to see the Back to the Future musical. Oh, that's Manchester all right. That's okay. That's exactly Because a friend of mine is, uh, is in the band. Yeah. Really? And he's invited me along. Which what does is he play? He plays the trumpet. He plays the trumpet. It's not, it's not your friend and ours, H. Ferris. He's not that good at playing the he's trumpet. He's not that really good, no, not that right good at playing. Yeah, yeah, I'm going yeah. to the theatre. He's good at blowing his on, own trumpet. But on anyway, Thursday on. night of this week. Mm. So there you go. Two, two people going to mass gatherings for cultural experiences, so in the, yes. the likes of which Rory Smith would completely shun. So. And my friend is involved in that show. So uh, we're all risking our own health to go and support our friends. Do you want me to see the Back to the Future musical is not, in inverted commas, a cultural experience? Well, it, could, it, w- it could well be. <laughs> it's, it's a preview showing, so he will decide thereafter and tell everybody, and uh, ticket sales will be I'm completely related, related to, to that. I'm relieved you to see something fr- frivolous and not when, when you talk about football being irrelevant, do you feel that football fans look at it and say, well, you can close everything else down, but the football cannot stop? There's clearly got to be a section of the country that feel, well, why on earth would we stop the football? That has to carry on. That is really, really important. Close the schools, close work down, keep people at home. But the football has to carry on. Exactly. So, because we're saying in the grand scheme of things, massive big picture, football is irrelevant. But it is hugely relevant to so many people in terms of 
the, the finances, in terms of the economy, in terms of earning a living. You think of the number of people who are just employed on a casual basis to work at Premier League grounds who are going to be very badly affected by football shutting down potentially indefinitely. And I guess this is why it's such a difficult decision when something significant happens and, and football is very much in the crosshairs because it is such a visual part of our society in terms of people congregating in one place. But I've not heard any talk of the West End being closed down no. for the next two to four. He's changed, not, hasn't he? He has changed, well, yeah. Also, yeah. To, to use but there cr- are other, as, as, Hugh, as, as Rory has already said, there are many other parts mm. of our lives in which people gather closely together in small spaces, not just football stadiums. And whilst the Premier League or Premier League clubs might be able to ride out financially coping without having people coming through their, their doors for a month or so. Perhaps part of the reluctance to say, right, yeah, we're shutting football down, is the impact it's going to have on, on smaller clubs all the way down the pyramid, who, you know, just, just losing a game to bad weather, which yeah. has happened a lot around yeah. here over the course of some of our, our local non-league sides have, have played very little over the course of the last few weeks because of waterlogged pitches. They're already feeling the pinch financially. If the Premier League shuts down, it's going to be very difficult for clubs in the non-league to keep going because what sort of example is that set? Well, I think the, the very obvious thing in that, in that situation is obviously if the Premier League shut, they'd have to shut the, the EFL and the conference and the rest of the pyramid. I think it would be very easy for the Premier League to say that they will cover from their vast pots of cash the lost income, the lost match day income. Which, if you're a cynic, would suggest the that they're very unlikely to do that because yeah, A, they don't want to lose their own income and B, they don't want to be spending it on yeah. other people. But, but what's, the where's the tipping point now? If, 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 again, if the cynical view is that the Premier League don't want to stop simply because they don't want to stop making money rather than really caring necessarily about the coronavirus outbreak and the mass gatherings of people and whether that might make it worse. But what's the tipping point? Where do you think that the Premier League should start caring about the coronavirus outbreak and the potential spreading of it at their events. Should they've done it by now? Or should they always maintain that actually it's if if the government's not going to tell us to do it, then we should carry on making money and or indeed having mass gathered events. I, I don't think that the, I've got to admit I don't think again maybe this is me being, being naive. I don't think it's to do with they want to make money. I think it's just that the idea of shutting down is is alien to them. I don't think it's to do with with a direct need to think we've got to, we can profit from this. There's, you know, the, the, this is, I don't think they're looking exclusively at the bottom line. I think it's more a kind of, it's not quite spiritual, but a kind of symbolic thing. I'd not thought, what's, what Steve said is right. I'd not thought about football as a kind of important symbol of life going on as normal. And I think there probably is an argument to that. Well, they said that ahead of the, the Six Nations game that I was previewing um, by that bus um, at Twickenham. Um, one of the coaches of the England team spoke about the fact, because it did is go that ahead. A coach? As in someone who trains them or a bus? Not, not a bus, okay. a, a coach, an assistant coach. Okay. Um, slightly smaller bus. <laughs> where where you, have, uh, you have an opportunity to ha- provide something of a distraction because clearly the Six Nation has been affected by coronavirus and they will not be able to end their competition until later on in the year. So there is an element to if you have a safe mass gathering of people where there are precautions taken, there were extra staff on hand to help out if anybody showed any symptoms, people with symptoms were told to, turn, uh, to, to not turn up. There were hand sanitizers available to them. There were even posters that WHO put up on, on, all the, on all the walls inside the stadium. So that is what they could do for that. But they talked about it being something of a diversion. So that speaks to Steve's point about the fact carrying on, if it's safe to do so, might actually it, be something of a positive. It doesn't, it doesn't. I don't, I've got to admit, I don't buy the argument that it's a... Div- I, I don't buy, buy that the argument that it's a diversion in troubling times is strong enough to keep it going. That, that doesn't make sense to me. I think Steve, where I think Steve's completely right is that shutting football down is a, is a very symbolic way of saying this is major, something, something big is happening, which I think perhaps the authorities generally may not want to convey to people. That, that We've already seen the panic buying of Lou Roll. Maybe there is an argument for saying you, you don't do it too quickly, because if you respond too quickly in, in too draconian terms, that, that perhaps is counterproductive. Economically, clearly, it'd be a problem for the people that work around the clubs, but how much of a problem would it be if they did shut it down, just in terms of the national consciousness? Would, would people then say, this is really serious now if they're closing football down? Yes, but I think people are probably at the this is really serious point anyway, aren't they? Are they? I suspect, I don't know. But that's part of the deal, yeah. isn't it? You, you shut it down at a point where people are a little bit kind of already thinking about that being a natural step. Yeah. And, and they're not thinking about the PR aspect completely. Obviously, it's a health emergency, but there are surely those behind the scenes who are thinking about the potential 
for something to be done out of sync, if you like. So something things need to be done at a point where it seems yeah. like the next natural step. Yeah. And that yeah. helps you to avoid panic and it helps you to at least make it a medical point over the moral or financial point yeah. that we've, well, we've been making so far. I think there is also, a med- again, without any expertise whatsoever, unlike my expertise in road work, the, <laughs> there is a point, I think, there is a medical element to it that there is a th- these measures don't have as much impact if you do them at the wrong time. I think that is part of it. Um, but given that the rest of Europe has gone, c- certainly behind closed doors, if not cancelling the leads entirely, it is odd that the Premier League is so resistant to do it. And I think, to speak to the broader point, what it shows is that there is a disconnect. There's two disconnects that are really important. One is between f- football as a sport and football as a business, because the sport clearly should shut down. There's no reason to play it. Like if it if it might if it might help the spread of the disease in any way just stop it we don't need to do it stop it until everything's kind of calmed down a bit until they've got it under control and you can you can push the season back and you finish the lead in june or july or whatever and it's fine but then there's football as a business which not only complicates it in terms of what happens you've got to refund the fans who've paid for tickets and potentially travel which i know a lot of clubs are, th- are talking about doing already they they have measures in place to to have those mechanisms. I think Arsenal are doing it for, for the game against Manchester City, for example. Well, yeah, but there's also the season ticket refunds. So City will have to, if that game, that Arsenal can refund the travel. But City, if that game was cancelled and the season didn't finish, would have to refund their mm-hmm. fans that, that portion of their season ticket. So they're, they're, they're having those conversations. But the, what do the TV companies do? Sky and BT pay 10 million quid a game to the Premier League. To who who makes up that shortfall? Because that's a big question. Does that... Do the clubs all have to sort of give some of the money back to Sky? Just how many... If they cancelled the season at this point, there must be, what, 30, 40 live TV dates left? I guess, between Saturday, Sundays, Monday nights. That's, that's a lot. That's 300, 400 million quid that is owed back to the broadcasters. And then you get the second disconnect, which is that there is absolutely no give in the calendar, which means that nobody can look at it and say, do you know what, if we, if we hold off... For, we take my roadwork idea, we shut everything for a month, we just say, right, we're going to delay it and say, we'll see where we are in a month and then we'll pick up the yeah, season. The Euros, Euros start in June. Yeah. So you can't, I think you can't not finish the season. I think that's really, that would be really difficult because if you, the focus will, always, will, will obviously in Britain be on, you know, <laughs> Liverpool won't win the lead or Liverpool might win the lead in an empty stadium. That's sort of immaterial, really, not to Liverpool fans, but it's, that doesn't really matter. It's, who gets relegated? Do you tell Leeds United and West Brom that they can't have 120 million quid that they've, they may have budgeted mm-hmm. for to some extent for, for getting promoted. You have to finish the season in some way, but you can't delay it because there is no give. The Euros are scheduled to start. You can't shift the Euros back a year. Just there's the women's Euros. You can't... And, and the FIFA Club World thingamajig. There's another Copper America. Do you tell Commerball that they can't host... They can't have the Copper America for the first time in 12 months. <laughs> all I'm hearing from you is seems like a reasonable for them to make, actually. Of Look, all the tournaments <laughs> that should go, it is the Copper America. We, let's talk about the logistical element. So talked about the, the, the fact that there's a moral element to it, a financial element to it, and a health element, but the, the logistic, logistical part will be the, the thing that we finish off. But first of all, to Stephen. Yeah, well, no, it's, it's on that point. We've already seen an example with Eintracht Frankfurt in the Europa League. Their game getting, there was a storm. They were mm-hmm. supposed to play Salzburg. Uh, and it, they was, so that game was shifted a, from the Thursday. A Stephen Wyeth game. From the Thursday to the Friday so that they could ride out the storm. But that meant that Eintracht Frankfurt's game in the Bundesliga on Sunday had to be postponed because they couldn't be expected to play twice in less than 48 hours. Unless it's in Britain over Christmas, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's another issue we can come on to. So already they're struggling to, to work out how they're going to fit that game mm. into the already tightly congested final few weeks of the season. And they're talking about maybe trying to squeeze it in between the final two match days in the Bundesliga. So even just one game yeah. going offered a demonstration of how difficult it is to rejig the calendar, to squeeze in. We see it all the time. And yeah, as, as Rory points out quite right, you know, we've, we've struggled already to try and convince English football that our clubs shouldn't play four times in eight days over Christmas and New Year and then play the third round of the FA Cup. So the idea that we would suddenly wipe huge swathes out of the season and try and squeeze it in at another day, because as you say, from a sporting point of view, they do need to try and to, to find a way of fitting these games in. And ultimately, this isn't just about what happens within our borders or any individual European country. I guess ultimately, it goes to the top of the game. And, and is it UEFA at some point that needs to take responsibility in these situations to say, right, well, okay, we're going to start moving things around to enable that to cascade down? Because 
there's only so much you can do as a national association to rejig yeah. things if the continental governing body can't then shift what they've got coming up at the end of the season. And, and that's really important because the, the, the impression you get at the moment is that just as every country is taking its own health advice, which is exactly what should happen, every federation seems to be doing, kind of doing its own thing. So certain, certain places are behind closed doors, certain places are saying, right, we're stopping the lead. We, in, in Britain, we have this kind of piecemeal, we can't play that game because Arsenal have been in contact with Evangelos Marinakis, so that's, that's that game done. But when do, you play, when do you play that game? They had the same issue with Inter saying, you know, Inter, I think, missed two games, didn't they? And they, um, they were saying, well, we don't have time to complete these fixtures. At some point, someone's going to have to take control of it and say, all right, well, this is our, this is our top-down solution. And that probably, Steve's right, probably has to be UEFA because the, the barrier is the Euros. Does that mean the season has to finish? I don't see how they can necessarily complete the Champions League and the Europa League if they are if games are at risk, not just of being behind closed doors, but perhaps not being allowed to play. So at the moment, if Juve got through, there is a... and Well, Atalanta are through as we, as we speak. How do Atalanta play their Champions League quarter-final? The, one of the biggest games in their history. How, how are they playing that? The home leg of it, because... The ban doesn't extend to international or continental competitions in Italy, from what I understand. No, but so they, they could, but they would have to have some sort of... They would go against the and what, current laws that have been put into yeah, place. And what in does it Italy. say if you say to whoever they draw, say they get Leipzig in the in the quarterfinals? You're saying to what you're saying to Leipzig, you have to travel into a quarantine zone. And it's it's because it's not the Black Death, and it's not it's not wiping out people really visibly. We, I think we're being a little bit flippant about the mortality rate and the the risk of exposure. And Francesco Caputo, who plays for um, for Sassuolo, Francesco Caputo, I think, rather than Francisco, I do apologise, held up this T-shirts after he scored at the weekend, I think, saying, you know, be brave or wish dead too, you have to question, you know, is it right for the players to be put into this environment where they're thinking that that they have to go into these this place that has been... Italy is a country in lockdown. Surely there comes a point where you say, this country is in lockdown. The most important thing here is not that we play football in it. And that response has to come from UEFA, who, who maybe at some point will have to come up with a plan. As I say, I think they have to finish the season. You want And you want to avoid knock-on effects into next season. You want to be able to take that season as a, as a whole and hope that things can kind of get back to normal. Um, so maybe you, yeah, maybe you have to think, right, maybe, is there any point playing the Champions League and Europa League behind closed doors? But then you get into the issue of, and I know that we all think football without fans is nothing, but the only fans are not the fans in the stadium. There are also fans who watch on TV. We will come to the fans issue in just a second. But first of all, if you consider Manchester City, they have, as a result of this Arsenal game being postponed, they now have to play... Um, the Arsenal game, the Chelsea game that has been moved because of them playing on the Cup quarterfinals and the Newcastle game because the Cup semi-final they are playing. City are playing Newcastle uh, in the Cup quarterfinal and they also meet on the weekend of the semi-final so one of them won't be able to play that by definition so therefore they've got those three games. They do not have, if they succeed in the Champions League through to the semi-finals, a free midweek currently Mm -hmm. available for them. The the, the free midweek was this midweek and they have had that game postponed. So, we have at least an uh, an example there to say, right, how, how do you fix that? We, and, and I know City could lose to Real Madrid and they could go out of the yeah. Champions League and that will immediately create two free midweeks and the problem is solved, essentially. Because you can play in the midweek between the penultimate and final weekend of the season where they try not to, but it's at least available. So what, what, what's going to happen? How well, are they going to do that? And then we can go on to talk about the relegation issues that we, that we spoke about briefly earlier. Again, to reiterate that I'm talking too much. Aren't I? No, 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 no. It's no, good no, stuff. No. I'm listening the, intently. This, this is not boredom. This is interest. All the time you're talking. similar. All the they time are very talk- similar. Yeah, very similar. <laughs> all the time you're talking, you're not eating <laughs> South African cured meats. So, That's true. You know, it's a win. It's a bonus. Yes, we're trying to help you. And Chinch's body language is misleading. He's folded his arms. I've only just folded my he's, arms. He's comfortable. <laughs> I've only just. He's folding his arms and looking furious. <laughs> if I did this, is this better for you? That's better. isn't that off-putting? He's He's returned from a coronavirus-free environment. This is all new information. Strange to think of all those elderly expats who live out there. But still. It's a place to be, isn't it? Schwau is not elderly. Oh, Expo is not an expat. Anyway, forget the, that. Um, they don't have to extend the season because you can't. This is this. Is, so this is my problem. And it, again, like, I'm not. So how many weeks do we have from the final Premier League game of the I've season no idea. until the Euro Euros? Twelfth. I think it's so a the, month, isn't it? Yeah, it's a month. Last Premier League game, seventeenth of May. And then the, the, then the, the prior to I that, they've got the Champions League final two weeks. So the Bundesliga and the Premier League finish on the sixteenth and seventeenth of May, and the and Serie A and the League are scheduled to finish the week after. You, that's not going to happen. You have to. You don't have. They're going to have to push the, 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 the seasons back. They're going to have to get rid of the the rule 
saying you can't schedule TV games in its Champions League games, that's going to have to go. They've already done that. They've already the, had to relent on that for other reasons. That, I mean, that is a that's not a hard and fast rule, and it never has been. That there would the the Cologne derby was scheduled to be on Wednesday night, yeah. the same night as the Champions League night. It happens. They, I think UEFA aren't. They're not draconian with that. And, no, and, it, be, and it became. You just have uh, to you, ask. It became un, in, they, they could no longer implement it the minute they stre- they they stretched the round of sixteen across yeah. a, you know, four Seven, different several week, different weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the, yeah, talking so with Manchester City, they've done it once already with West Ham game, and they've done it um, they were twice do it with the Arsenal game because yeah. of the Arsenal game, yeah. which now they're going to have to put on another day. The yeah, you, you don't have to extend the season, no question. I suspect that 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 isn't. I mean, the, the one of the things I find strangest is that we've not cancelled the international friendlies at the end of March. Just get rid of them. You don't need them. They they are pointless. Games. You need the qualifying playoffs, obviously. You need the qualifying but playoffs, the but you don't need the friendlies. So just uh, that wouldn't necessarily ease fixture congestion, but it would at least acknowledge that the England Italy game has has gone. Not no, not yet. They haven't. Not yet. Not, not officially. Yet. No. No. The it will. Yeah. I'd be standard if it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But that yeah, you need the quali- You need the just the stupid the stupidity of the Euros. This again is another issue in terms of this endless desire for more from every lead, every federation, every competition. This is what happens. You, you in an in an interconnected world, you have to be, you have to factor in a little bit of elastic, to to allow things to work in case things don't work exactly as you want. Everything's too on edge. It, not just in football, kind of in the world in general. That's what this whole thing has proven that mm. we are we are we are, we exist on the brink at all times. And bursting point. Yeah, I've had everything. to do that with my trousers in terms of the. Yeah, you're, you're bursting. Some point, so I've got into my fifties. I need a bit of you know a little bit, bit of give, give. Don't you? Mm-hmm. Change, you need so at least two weeks in the season where there's no football <laughs> in your trousers. Is that not just to make it easier if you're going going to the toilet? Uh, there is that quick as well. Cap. Although I have a, uh, a, a quick release flap. The <laughs> <laughs> They'll have to attend the season. I would have thought until the end of May. But the uh, the more the more dramatic thing to do would maybe be to postpone the Euros for a year and say right we will give you until everyone's you can't have this piecemeal thing where games are called off the day of the game because something's happened or two week, two days before it's not fair on the fans it's, it doesn't work for the broadcasters it throws the whole lead into kind of chaos we're kind of lucky in England that at least there's no kind of we're not imagine if we're in the grip of last year's title race and this was happening it would be it it would make the whole season bizarre. At least that that part of it in England is kind of sorted. But not ev- not, but not all everything of it. is, and that's why the, the, it's slightly dangerous to kind of focus on. Oh well, what, well, Liverpool might not win the title. The bigger issue is is elsewhere in the table. Who gets in the Champions League? How do you plan? Which players you can assign? Who do you relegate? Who do you promote? How do you do that in a fair way? Which is why I think they have to finish the season. Mm. So it may be that you cancel the Euros. You say, right, you've got till the end of June to finish your seasons. The clubs will have to wear the idea that they might have to play every two or three days just to get it done. That 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 might have to happen. You push the Euros to 2021. You try to avoid as much... I think the Women's Euros start on July the 7th next year. So you may be trying to get the tournament finished by then. It might That would be the normal the normal weekend, essentially, yeah. where it would end anyway. Yeah. It's usually the second second weekend of June to the first or second weekend so of July, you, isn't it? It would involve... There would be a little bit of logistical stuff. So I think you'd have to move the opening game of the Women's Euros, which obviously are in England. The final of the Men's Euros is meant to be in, be at Wembley. You'd have to do some sort of deal with FIFA over the Club World Cup and that nonsense. Maybe just don't do it. It's a terrible idea. The, the In fact, to be fair, no one's agreed to it anyway. So why would you bother... They could play that in 2022, in the summer of 2022, because obviously there isn't a World Cup that summer, because it's in the winter. But it requires not only people to do things that are not directly in their interests and to wear things that they won't like. It requires football, football's various stakeholders to come together and agree with each other. And they do not agree with each other on anything. And that's what this is. This this It's not the most important part of this crisis, but that's what it's really highlighting, is, is there is no single voice that football speaks with. That, and that makes it relatively unique in world sport. That thing about, oh, we, we might not be able to move the Euros to next summer because the women's Euros is also next summer, is just a demonstration of how seemingly yeah. unwilling people are to compromise. It does not seem beyond the stretch of the imagination that those tournaments could overlap or run concurrently. But that's UEFA. On the basic, yeah, exactly. They don't want to dilute but one of their own products. Exactly, yeah. but this is just a demonstration of how difficult this bottleneck has become. Yeah. And when we're talking about flexibility of the calendar, I think it's also worth pointing out flexibility of finances is an issue as well because from the point of view of English football, the fact that so much of the money from English football comes from television is clearly an issue. But that with so much of that going out of the game, that match day revenue stuff is mightily important, even to these t- even yeah. to these clubs that are drawing in over a hundred million pounds a season just from being on television. They do actually still need that one, two, three million pounds they earn 
per match day from ticket sales and concession stalls and visits to the club shop. You know, that, that's a drop in the ocean by comparison to what they draw in from TV. But so much of that TV money is already going out of the door that those match-going fans, yes, many, many, many more people watch the Premier League on television than they do in the stadium and playing be- games behind closed doors in terms of the product. Of course, it's not great, but it is a solution because people will still have access yep. to the games. But from a club's point of view, they are so at breaking point in terms of their finances that they need people coming through the turnstiles. For a man who's wearing a bright red Star Wars T-shirt, mm. that is an extraordinarily good point. And it's, I'm, I don't think I've seen anyone make that. Those two things is, are not mutually exclusive. Which is that, if you, so Liverpool made a massive profit, officially, in one light, uh, for 2018-19. But in another light, they actually kind of broke even. It was their, their operating profit or whatever. I'll get the terms wrong. Was not vast. They, 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 you know, they, they did well. They did all year, but it, it's not like they, they're 200, 300 million quid in profit. They are very few clubs do. They no, are no clubs. No do. club makes that sort of profit. They, I think they made an overall profit or something of about 10 million quid. Visit Price of Football, where I get all of my financial information for for actual exact figures and explanations. But most clubs spend about 70 percent of their income on wages. So if you're taking away six home games or five home games of two, three million or even a million quid, you're making a, a fairly big dint in that club's finances and that's in the Premier League, obviously lower down, where clubs exist hand-to-mouth basically on gate receipts yeah. there's no TV rights, the, or barely any TV rights. You are talking about clubs potentially going to the brink. I think the Premier League would, even just as a PR stunt, it would, it would do a whole world of good for the Premier League to say that they cover the costs. But maybe they don't have the money to do that because, as Steve says, so much leeches out to, to, in wages, to agents, in transfer fees. Then, and in, in England in particular, where so much of the transfer spend goes outside of the country, yeah, the, the Premier League clubs maybe do need that money more than we kind of give them credit for. If you're Man United and you suddenly miss out on 15 million quid, that... That's kind it's of a two, big deal. Two to three million a match day, I think, for, yeah. for United. Is that and right? Yeah. And, and incredibly, right, yeah. it's possibly the big clubs that need it even more because the, the big six, what we view as the established big six, are responsible for more than 50% of the Premier League overall wage bill. Mm. So, yes, Manchester United have these huge resources you know, money coming from other areas. But, yeah, that three million per match day is vitally important because they, like Manchester City, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, etc., are the ones with the majority of the money going, going out the door. They crunched the numbers on the Bundesliga when the Bundesliga decided within the last few days as we speak that a lot, a lot of their games, and perhaps probably all, eventually are going behind closed doors. They reckon, on average, it's 1.7 million euros per, per match. Yeah. Per, you know, per, per match but that's spread across the league so you know for, for Dortmund with 80 odd thousand people coming into the game compared to Paderborn with 15,000 you know for Dortmund it's going to be substantially more and for Paderborn it'll be less Is there any uh, possible circumstance because Liverpool might win the league as we stand here in about 10 days time that because that is sorted out and the most important thing although those fighting for Champions League places and those fighting against relegation will disagree but that is the most important thing to determine the season is there any argument to say stop it just stop it and find a different way or say, as status quo, that's it. I'm sorry, the bottom three get relegated. But, I mean, I think if you were to cancel the season, that, that is li- that's probably the only way to do it, except that some teams have played more games than others. Villa have got a game in hand. Yes. You'd, so you'd have to play that. And that would just, you know, so Villa, whoever their game in hand is against, they probably lose it. Sheffield they? United. Sheffield United. At home. So, at home. So what, Villa get, win that and Bournemouth and Watford or whoever have to sit and watch as Villa get one free shot to see if they can survive relegation. I, d- I think cancelling the leagues is such a major is such a major thing. I know what you mean about who d- it, it's important to crown a, t- a champion and I think if you if you cancelled it I'm not I'm not sure if you were Liv- if you cancelled it now with what, nine games still to play for most teams I'm not sure whether Liverpool could count that as a title particularly that it wouldn't have been a completed season you'd have to just kind of like with the war seasons they didn't I think they they just curtailed it I don't think there's an official champion for the war seasons. The but it's relegation. It's how it's can you say that I don't know, yeah, Norwich, Villa, say, and Bournemouth or whoever, whoever's in the bottom three at the moment. Can you say that they have Watford, been... Watford, Watford. Fa- maybe yeah. Watford, yeah. yeah. Can you say that they've been fairly relegated if they've, you know, if they've, they've played 29 well, the, games? That as it's, that's as it stands. If you stop the season, OK, they've got a game in hand, Villa. But if you're saying, that, is that the fairest way to say, well, as the table stands now, Liverpool... When, but when, Bournemouth, when, when, when Bournemouth everyone, Villa Bournemouth, and Norwich. When, oh, okay. when everyone's played, it would have to be when everyone has played, say, 29 or 30 but games. But if we can't get to that point... Well, if you, if you can't get to that point, then I don't think you can. 
I don't think you can cancel the season. Mm. If, by the way, Villa play that game in hand and they win it and everybody, we stop after 29 games. Just for example, um, Villa will go outside the bottom three and it will take uh, Bournemouth and Watford down oh, because yeah. Watford are just above them. On but there'd be a legal challenge to that. And equally, if you said, right, we're just going to cancel the season, it, it hasn't happened you'd get, I'm sure that West Brom and Leeds, who are both well-positioned to be promoted from the Championship, would have a case to, to sue the Premier League for, hmm. for lack of promotion monies. And Bournemouth are only in the relegation places below Watford and West Ham on goal difference. Yeah. So you, could, you could even argue that, you could even say, Bournemouth could say, we could all lose all of our remaining games, but we might not lose ours as heavily. Yeah, yeah. We could still move out the bottom three without winning again. What about the Greenland solution? Play it all in one week. That would be amazing. And I do know the people who could make that happen. My friend Anouk. Well, they've, they've got the experience of doing yeah, so. They, Bring they, in Anouk. We could do it in, in Sisimiat. I could go back to Greenland. It would be... How's Greenland be, and the coronavirus? I'm assuming they're there. I right? think they're probably all right. Probably all right. Chinch, to, to, to finish off this conversation about playing behind closed doors, because there is clearly a PR aspect and that the saleability of your product on television, seeing, seeing empty stadia is not necessarily the greatest look, but it is a potential halfway house to at least get these games played, uh, yeah. these games played and sort out the issues that we've just been discussing. Um, how, how underwhelming is that for uh, a, a team? Because I imagine it can't be necessarily as um, motivating. But even, yeah, even playing behind closed doors, it's not... <laughs> fans aren't there, of course they're not. They'd say it, it's just the same game. It isn't the same game. Mm. And that is something, again, you've got to look at as well. Do you play in the same way if there are no fans there? It is really weird. It's close as I can get to. I never played behind closed doors. There was no game when that happened. I did tend to, a lot of people kind of... There's no way the people ga- would agree no, people to came, not come and watch you play. No, people came to the game, realised I was playing and left. That's a different story. <laughs> they weren't stopped from... Around, but pre-season is probably as close. and mass walkouts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pre-season is as close as you're going to get. You play, we used to play in Switzerland and Germany and the crowds were two or three hundred. That was as close as you got to... bit, And that felt a bit weird. You didn't feel... You can hear individual voices, you, can't you? Yeah, like Hinchcliffe, you rubbish in German and in Switzerland. <laughs> it was awful. It was awful. I didn't need that. Scheisse. Scheisse. <laughs> get him off. But anyway, no, so it, it is and you do, you do. I think you play differently. It is like a training game. It's weird. It is weird. So even that, they probably say, "Well, hold on a minute. We, we can't get the best out of ourselves if we're not playing in front of a crowd." And there is a there is a point but to that it, as well. It, even playing it behind closed doors, that's not natural. And maybe the results would be different. Probably will be different playing behind closed doors than in front of forty thousand people. I'm really. T- it, this is massively not the point of the coronavirus crisis. I I think it would be really interesting. So I think if I think the thing with the other thing with closed doors is you have to do it for everybody to maintain the integrity of the, of the competition. As a side note for the Euros, one of the reasons why I think they're under threat is because the Italians are going to have to, say they start up again on April the 3rd with, with a month of games to make up. They're going to play every three days for two months before the Euros. How is that fair on Italy in the Euros? But also more travelling in the Euros because of where it is. Yeah. Do you want to see my Euros travel plan? No. Oh, God, if they cancel does it, it. Does it work on an audio medium? Oh, change? my. Oh, my. No, it's a, it's a, it's a PDF. Right, so perhaps can, can we, we tweak it? It's not just saying how complicated because it's been played all over the bloody place. Travelling from St. Petersburg to Dublin. If you cancel it... We're having our night out in St. Petersburg. Oh, we are. Oh, no, we, I know what I'm saying now, so... Uh, it's yes, Rory's yes. birthday do. It's horrendous. I might be at home for my birthday. That would, that would help oh, domestically. So cancel the Euros, you think, is, think, is the most viable way of dealing with like this? That looks like the bit that might have to give. Or put it to next year. They have to play every, on, on the closed doors thing. I think it has to be across the board. Does that the only way it's fair? You can't say, well, six teams get to have fans and... Because home advantage is reduced to such a degree that you you have to have it equally done. But but I do. I'm really torn, and quite interested in seeing. Would you? Would you get if all the games were behind closed doors? Would it go much more according to paper? So would the the team that was was better on paper win? Yes. Or would you get a lot of really weird results because it feels such an alien environment where everyone's a bit sort of uncertain? I'd be interested to see which... That's why it's worth doing it, just to see what happens. It's it kind of a closed mm. like laboratory mm. experiment, isn't it? If you take the fans away, does it go, go according to form much more? And does that kind of prove the benefit of having fans? Yes, yeah. It is now time for Nevermind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. This is when Andy Hinchcliffe tells the tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed, although today it takes the form of a question and answer. Noah Knopf, or Knopf, depending on whether your K is silent or not, has Mm. been in touch. Dear Hugh, Rory, Stephen and Andy, congratulations on your excellent podcast. I started listening after reading Rory's articles in The Times and always appreciate your thoughtful discussions about the world of soccer. I play lacrosse in college here in the US and was surprised to learn that Chinch also once played lacrosse. Is lacrosse a recognisable or well-known sport in England? And Chinch, do you have any memorable stories from your lacrosse career? Korea, Korea is a bit of a push because I played it at school. I'm sure, how can I forget whether I played for Cheshire as, as a lacrosse person? I must, I think I was that good. 
I, I was. Yes, I did. I did. As I was. I played person. lacrosse. But lacrosse is a is a an established sport. Would we say in what's, this country amongst, the, amongst the uh, private school and for girls? Yeah. For what? girls, it have was, you ever seen? It's a brutal sport. Well, it's a brutal bru- sport. But, I, but the way where, I played it, where, was. <laughs> where yeah. I grew up, we we played some sports, and then the the kind of next door girls' private school called the Athlete. They yeah. played lacrosse. We didn't. They did. This yeah. Chinch, just just you This was when he was growing up. When gender wasn't, we hadn't realised that gender was a social construct. Oh, I see. Okay, so that's why he's just said what he Very said. Very fluid. Um, but if you see <laughs> the Canadians or the Americans play lacrosse, it is a. F- you must have seen it. Perfect. Oh, it's yeah. a fierce. Have you? I just imagine you inside it's that a mask. Fierce, it's not a mask, it's a helmet. Well, so you get a helmet with a mesh front. Looks like a mask. It's a helmet. Oh, come on. It's a hel... Are you, are you now having a go at me on l- lacrosse terms? Is now? It, is I the played the game for, for Cheshire. Cheshire. <laughs> um, a lacrosse helmet. That but that's why I liked power. it. I liked it because uh, I was quite a, a big child. Not obese. <laughs> I, was, I, was a, I was 12 and a half stone when I was 16, so I was a sizable chap. So I played... My, my position was centre. <laughs> Chinch, Chinch is, is Cheshire's big child. I was a, one of those big boys. So anyway, but big and powerful, not big and chubby. Uh, I played centre. So that's quite a position where you have to kind of roam about all over the place and, and poke people in the face. The great, the great thing about the sport is um, it's a great way of getting your anger out because basically they give you an aluminium stick. Yeah, it's got a net on it. You're meant to throw a ball around. But basically you can belt people with it. So... The pad's great because I like hitting people but don't like getting hit back. And if someone is going to hit me back, then I want to be covered in padding. So you have all the shoulder pads and uh, the, the helmet, not the mask. mask. The goaltender goal will have a mask. That's probably what I'm thinking of. But you, why would you want to be a goalkeeper? You've got a solid rubber ball being slung at 80 or 90 miles an hour. Why would you want to get in the way of that? Well, actually, we had... Um, Lack of athleticism. Our goalkeeper, Asif Qureshi, at William Hugh Grammar School for the Advancement of Young Gentlemen. He was, <laughs> he was a, a big lad but he was fat and he tended just about to fit into the goal frame because it's like a square goal with like a triangular net the old lacrosse net and he was he was quite sizable so once he was padded up basically we just wedged him <laughs> wedged him in the in the net but he he was a bit of a coward as well so he used to try and get out of the way of the ball that was slung at him when his Does job was move? to basically does the net move? As in, uh, like a hockey, an ice, ice hockey no, goal? No, 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 that, no, like boost, no, 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 it's fixed, it's fixed, fixed posts. Like the idea of his goalkeeping. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> Just he, basically be to stand up and walk away. So we used to wedge there, him in there, and he, but he wasn't, like he wasn't the bravest, but he, yeah, he, he used to try and, lots of goals that he conceded were him moving his head out of the way, when he used to just <laughs> headed the ball away, but Where? it's a natural instinct. But anyway, it's a sport, I, I loved it, it's What's a really, that? really physical sport, but again, you can belt people, poke him in the face, the defenders can have longer sticks than the, than the rest, and the attackers and the midfield because you don't want to get poke-checked. Mm. That's what it's called. When they try and knock the ball, they, they, they kind of um, poke the stick to knock the b- make the ball come out. So the defenders can have long sticks because they want the reach. They want to be able to knock the ball out of an attacker's grasp. But for the midfielders and tackers, they have smaller sticks. There's kind of a, a certain size to the stick. So, yeah, I never used to want to be a defender because the big stick was a bit unwieldy and I wanted to be at the heart of the action, which is what my life has been all about, really. So, but the, the start of the game is interesting as well. So you kind of you go down on, on one knee... With your opposite number, the, the opposite centre. To propose. Not to propose, no, that came later in the showers. Um, and the stick heads, the stick heads, the back of the, the stick heads were, were put together. The ball was put in between and you used to basically have to wrestle to get the ball loose. And then the game was off and running. That's how the game started. It wasn't like thrown onto the pitch and you just tried to get the ball. Like, like in table It football. was put, so clearly the size I was at, at 15, I was a, a giant of a boy. So basically I just used to muller the opposition centre. We would win possession and then off we go. And that kind of form and that kind of physical prowess is why I went on to, to perform so well for, for, for Cheshire and why we won everything at county level. But it's a great sport. It's a great sport. It should be on TV more. And, but don't be a goalkeeper. Being a goalkeeper is sporting suicide where's in lacrosse. Where's Asif Qureshi now? Who knows? I think all being struck on the head with a, a solid rubber ball hasn't really helped him over the years. So um, I'd, like we'll have to fi- I'd like to find that. He was, he was a very good friend of mine. Very good friend of mine, but a, a cowardly, a, cowardly lacrosse a very, goalkeeper. A, a, a very good friend of yours who you've now insulted. <laughs> Absolutely. To, but to, that will get him to, to contact us. Literally all his friends, all, all his friends will get in touch with him now. Uh, Chinch, thank you. Noah as well for the question. Thank you very much indeed. You can keep your correspondence and, in, and indeed any questions to Andy Hinchcliffe coming to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Please subscribe, share, rate and review. As we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Stephen, Andy and Rory and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece many for you to enjoy very soon indeed. Were you one of those like like 
Were you a bully? Were you a bully? Adult children. Not not a bully because just being more powerful than than children of your age. That's not bullying. That's just simply overpowering the weak. I don't see that as uh, that's not a crime. You see that as the natural order of things. That's just the, the natural order of, of things. Trampling over a, a smaller child, or I was a, I was a bit of a demon fast bowler as well, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't averse to putting in the slight shorter ball and hitting people in the neck. Bit of body line. It's just yeah, you got to throw a bit of that in, and the also, but then I did get my comeuppance playing rugby. I once got flung into a, a rugby post by a, an even bigger chap than me, yeah. and it uh, it damaged my collarbone. So I realised rugby wasn't for me after that. The yeah, in, that's interesting. So it's it's not a crime to punish the weak, Chinch, but it does make you sound a bit like Genghis Khan. Genghis did quite well, though, didn't he? The Cheshire Plains. He had quite a lot of Genghis world did dominance, well. didn't he? He did Genghis quite well, did, yeah. he but did. he was, you know, he killed people. He did. I, I didn't slaughter anyone on the lacrosse field, just, just in a lacrosse sense. Okay. They, they realised my majesty and, and would bow down in a lacrosse yeah. sense. But um, yeah, I, it was, again, I could easily have played professionally. The States were calling, the Canadians were desperate <laughs> to have me over like there. It was, but again, football, everyone realised that I was just going to be truly, truly outstanding at football and lacrosse was, <laughs> was always going to be probably fifth or sixth on my list of, of sporting brilliance. Football, rugby, rugby cricket. cricket. Uh, Tiddly Winks, um, Sudoku, and then lacrosse. No, lacrosse, I, could, I, I would probably say it's my fourth greatest sport.